I, 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 my, my radio voice gets fucked up as soon as I get excited. And that's like, I get excited from everything. From sex, from just seeing people, from sounds, from, from my own thoughts, from sounds from my body. I very fast go into this, like, okay, talking way too fast and like I'm going up in the guy until I'm super annoying. Uh, so now I'm trying to uh, do some magic to, to calm myself down. And it, ha it have helped. What kind of magic do you use? Um... The kind, the right kind, <laughs> the the one that's working, the, the the white, the white one with a little bit of black, like just gray, gray magic. <laughs> gray magic, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, uh, as long as it's working, it's fine, no? Yeah, well, you never know the side effects of it. That's the thing with magic. It's like a little bit like modern medicine. You, it takes maybe away the symptoms, but it like maybe you curse your DNA and generations for. I don't know how many generations they get cursed from you doing like a little bit cause and effect you take from somewhere and then uh, you have to give somewhere and maybe that goes on your great grandchild that gets like followed by demons and like have to have an exorcism by a Catholic priest that rapes him and abuse him over time when nobody knows stuff like that. That's why you shouldn't get children, I guess. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. In the world now, it's, we're living in an unsafe world, and that's like how people used magic sometimes was to make protection and stuff. And then you had people that was like, okay, if you do magic, we burn you alive, boil you, and kill you, and ex excommunicate. You can't talk with your friends again. So you have to hide your magic. Then it's like, okay, then it's like secret, uh, occult. It's like secret information. Uh, you have to hide. Your magic, so people don't have to come and kill you. I mean, magic is kind of hidden. I don't know, like. Yeah, uh, then it became like, okay, if it really works and they're allowed to do it and they hide it anyway, then you have like secret societies or something like we we are keeping all the evil knowledge or all this knowledge we can manipulate ourselves up to power and success and like multi billionaires where we can have like a child pedophile network again it's coming back again it's like seems like you have to fuck children when you get to a certain point of of power then you're like uh, keeping that you're like oh it's secret no one should know and then somebody spreads it on the internet and then they're like what my secret information but then i'm like wasn't it before like you kept it secret so nobody should kill you and now you keep it secret because you think you're so fucking cool about it or I mean, I'm happy I'm not living at the times when you get burned on a stick, but I mean... Yeah, yeah, it's good to not be burned on a stick. And it's good that we have internet in that way. I liked internet in the beginning, that it spreads information really fast. Like, you can download movies and music that is pirated by people. Well, now it seems like you have to be a fucking computer geek to really get the information, because all the fucking censorship that is uh, coming. Coming where? On the internet. We're going to talk to um, Dr. Justin Sledge, that is a professor uh, studying occultism, religion, philosophy, and uh, mysticism on all that those directions from, from more like a Western point of view, no? I mean, this is not really an easy subject to study. It's, if I understood it right, there's only three schools in the world. And there's only one that you really get the good information in, and that is in Amsterdam. Really? 
So it's a school of magic in Amsterdam, like Harry Potter school of magic. I think it's more like information history. I don't think they're sitting and making magic there. What is magic? How did it develop? What makes magic different than science? Is science a type of magic? Uh, can we abuse magic? Is good and bad existing? Is like This can confuse the most confused one of us more than they ever were before. And then, I don't know, run out and do like evil ritual sacrifice in the forest to get unlimited power over yourself I mean, or others? I mean, people have always been afraid of the unknown. So when things suddenly is working in other people's favor or, or they heal a person and they cannot understand it, it's undescribable how they suddenly can heal a dying person. Yeah, it's like if you operate someone, you mean? No, if they just give them some magic herbs. In many times that was called magic. Now it's called natural medicine. Oh, yeah. Natural medicine is a type. Is it a type of magic? Is it a type of science? How, how does it separate itself? Well, I think I it goes a little bit hand in hand, though, because some people are like, if you drink a, a tea, for some people it works and for other people it doesn't work. Mm, maybe it's maybe it's about so you need a you, little your. bit of magic inside it and it works better so you say one magic work for someone and doesn't work for another another person i don't know um you're saying that that could be the case okay so what we are getting into now that is that we are both actually quite uneducated about this and we're gonna talk to a professor in this subject that actually is doing um youtube series called esoterica please check it out he is talking about all kind of mystical directions and sometimes spread some secrets that uh, maybe you in a secret society will be like oh no you say you shared my secrets oh god or 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 satan or whatever oh buddha or jesus or what the fuck you want they would just be like oh no my secrets so that's I'm cool, no? That we, uh, that uh, knowledge is available for people. Yeah, of course. Knowledge should be available. But in some kind of way, I think you can never keep secrets. Uh, no, in some kind of way you can. Secrets will come out, but usually in a corrupted way through many types of translations from Aramaic to, to Jewish, that's Hebrew to Greek to back to Hebrew to English. That is a kind of bastard language and then circulating with lost in translation until I suddenly have like this magical book in front of me and I can go out and ooga booga you far out in the universe. So it's maybe it's better to just try to find out yourself. I don't know. How do you do that? Plants again? Maybe plant medicine? I mean, uh, there is something called use your brain, maybe? Okay, yeah, so in religion, sometimes that's like, uh, they, uh, it's like re replaced with fate. Uh, sometimes that's cool. Sometimes that's like, uh, maybe you should have used your brain and not just like, eh, for eternity, kill your brothers and sisters in stupid wars based on religion. So, yeah, maybe use your brain. But do we need religion? It seems like it's still very in. Trendy, I guess. No, I think religion is... It depends on where in the world you are, if it's in or not. 
depends depends I mean, a lot which family you are in. Also now in America, I see like one third is evangelic Christians that basically think that everyone that don't uh, follow Jesus Christ will burn in hell and for eternity. And there's no and Jesus was like somehow like this hairy hippie going around eating plants from the desert and and trying to spread peace, love and harmony and didn't really want to send people to hell all the time. So religion changed over time also. Yeah, I'm not such a big fan of religion. I mean, I understand that people are searching for things and they are are in the need of a religion. But I think when you get very judgeful against other people or when you are... Yeah, judgeful against other people and their thoughts and ideas. And so what's your religion? Mine, I am not following any organized religion. Do you have any religion? Your own, your Leona religion? Can no. maybe start one? <laughs> But I, that's again, I don't want to have any followers, no. Okay, so you do believe in God. And you think you can bring people to this God if you were wanted to have followers. It's just you choose to not have. No, I don't think so. I'm not sure uh, if I believe in God or not. I'm not saying that God doesn't exist, but I'm also not sure that it that, does exist. Okay, sacrifice, kill her. She says God maybe don't exist. That was one upon, once upon a time he would get killed almost for that. Excommunicated at least. That's why I'm happy I'm living in modern times. Well, I excommunicate you now from my studio. You disbeliever can't be part of Bipolar Circle and the rebirth they show. But I'm just saying it might not be a God. Okay. I'm not saying there is no God. I'm saying, yeah, well, there is 50-50 chance, no? <laughs> It's a 50-50 chance. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that it was calculatable like that. But yeah, okay, if it's 50-50 chance, it's like... Yeah, it's 50 child. You can just do what the fuck you want. There's no values and moral connected to it. There's nothing about consciousness that you need to develop. But in the, in the end, you should I, be I'm responsible not, for that for yourself, no, not, not for say, fucking God. I'm, I'm not saying that you should be an idiot or torture and kill or throw trash just because you think there's a 50% God doesn't exist. You still are living on this planet, no? Well, that's gambling. Uh, you're like if 50-50% you can calculate it like how much how much do I really want to rape this child well even if I'm a priest 50-50 mm, it's a god or not okay fuck it are you really <laughs> I'm really I, horny so right now so you are so afraid of god that you don't rape children because I don't rape children because I don't want to rape children <laughs> no I don't I'm not in the catholic church or in any church like this and I don't want to rape children either but if you are a priest you somehow should have some fear of god if you're like high up and then it's like the question is like dude I have a different religion where they get more power from fucking children and they do something we don't know some secret stuff they haven't shared on the internet yet are you, are you afraid of God in all religions? what? me? no no in general is all religion based on fear no, for God no 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 I learned a little bit about fear of God if you start stop to believe in free will for example and you think you're like controlled by a universe so huge that you can't even grasp it with with nothing and then 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 you are stuck in that system uh, constantly getting reborn into another rebirth they show pushed into people's reality that knows so much more than you about all kind of subject in the universe and you are like okay i'm gonna try to deal with this i don't know yeah you can get a little bit afraid maybe 
But it's like afraid. But that of, you can get even if God doesn't exist. Yeah, you can be afraid of life, afraid of people, afraid of reality. You know, but that is a type of error of God, since God is somehow. If you believe in God, it's somehow God controls the reality. If you don't believe in God, it's be like fuck. Reality sucks. I'm afraid of reality. It doesn't change so much of your fear specter. It's just what you blame, I guess. Yeah. So that's, uh, we've been talking a lot. We want to talk to a person that actually knows something about this subject and find out a little bit about what he believes in also, not just the academic side of it. Uh, if he dares to talk about that, we will hope that. Uh, for you that want to check out all his uh, subjects, go to Esoterica. You will find links uh, under the podcast uh, episode and check out his amazing work on uh, mysticism uh, and occultism and religion and philosophy. So please go and check him out and follow his shows. And uh, yeah, welcome to uh, to Justin Sledge. That's a cool name, no? Sledge. Yeah, I'm, I'm now Tommy Temblor. So... Tommy Temblor meets Justin Sledge in the Bipolar Circle and the Rebirthday Show. Happy Rebirthday! Happy Rebirthday! And we forgot this will clip in. Actually, we went off uh, Rebirthday. Uh, we got reborn into the same intro. And please visit our coffee page. Coffee page and the Patreon page if you go to bipolarcircle.podbean.com. And uh, give us a small donation for the work with the Bipolar Circle and the Rebirthday Show. It will uh, inspire us a lot, uh, really. And uh, please uh, give us some comments or write us an email about what you want to hear or give us some encouragement. Again, thank you to our two Patreon fans. We are very happy for you following us. And we're very happy for listeners from uh, more strange places. Not uh, from, okay, we don't talk about that. Okay, we're happy from all listeners. And, uh, and if you don't want to give a donation on bipolarcircle.podbin.com uh, and uh, are horny and want to see some sexy ecological porn where Leona is part and me also showing our whole body all our whatever uh, sexual energy uh, on the fuckforforest.org website where we do collect money for ecology so if you want some alternative porn and want to see what we do except for the rebirthday show go to fuckforforest.org and uh, become a member of our organization. You can also send your own uh, sexy photos or videos, and then you will get the free access to the website. Still, you can donate if you want, because we use this money on ecological projects. We are currently doing a project in Mexico, and we need your support to continue this also. So support our web uh, site fuckforforest.org or go to bipolarcircle.podbean.com and support our podcast. So for our sensitive listeners, today we're going to talk about religion, God, no God. So if you are have uh, sensitive to this subject, you may listen to our old podcasts where we talk about sex yeah. and other well, things. Well, I will talk a little bit about fucking God. Uh, and sex with God. I forgot to put that. That I have to put in my list. Sex with God, Kabbalah. Uh, Incest. Oh yeah, but that I already have on my list. I mean, sex with God is almost like incest, no? 
It's kind of like masturbating if you are like one side of God and you meet, you merge together as one. And when yeah, you one... Okay, that's what I meant more like... Yeah, but then he's making love with a woman also the same. Like you are merging duality together and in that moment you somehow are one. Duality, it can't be yourself also. Just a mirror actually just fucking yourself. Yeah, but if you're fucking yourself, if you're fucking God, you're fucking like kind of like the... You are somehow the feminine... In, in Kabbalah, they would say you are somehow the feminine side and God is the masculine side. But that doesn't matter. You're two sides of something and then you... Wow, old gay rabbis yeah rabbis, <laughs> rabbis are a little bit gay like that by being identifying not all the rabbis but people studying kabbalah is identifying the lower uh, level of uh, that is our world with with the uh, feminine qualities because we want to get fucked i guess that's the thing like in some way or another i can feel you oh god you're so beautiful <laughs> Your nothingness, your allness, your all how all powerful everythingness is attracting me in in a erotic way. It's making me excited. It fills me with with desire, desire to to embrace the nothingness, to to penetrate the nothingness with my with my penis, with my cock with my dick penetrate you, merge with you, connect you, become you, be you. Oh, oh, you God, oh God, oh God, oh, oh God, oh, God, oh, oh. Okay, so then we go to Justin Sledge and... Uh, Dr. James Justin Sledge. Let's talk some dirty. Okay, happy rebirthday. Happy rebirthday. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. It's a great day. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me on and, and chatting. I really appreciate it. I'm always like so happy to to sit down and chat with like like smart people. So thank you for having me on. Well, that's okay. Now we made we were actually sitting talking about that you know a lot of stuff because you're kind of academic. You learned a lot from books. You've been studying all your life. It would be difficult to challenge that kind of information. Uh, well, I'm very uneducated, and now you just feeded my ego here with flattering me, but... Okay, that was the tactic. Ah, now I get it. Okay, you don't fool me. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I, I don't think... I, I think I know some stuff, but I, I think that, uh, yeah, there's a whole wide range of wonderful, intelligent people out there, and there are lots of different kinds of intelligences. And so... Uh, I know a lot of people who know a lot of things about a lot of books and they're real stupid people. And I know a lot of people who don't know a lot of things about a lot of books who are real smart, intelligent people. Uh, it, 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 doesn't cut in, it doesn't cut in one direction. First of all, uh, this is your rebirth day show. We're going to reborn here. Us together also, I need a reborn 
time now. I feel I need to like reborn. So maybe I can do it together with him. It's like a rebirth day show for all of us. And first of all, can you please present yourself to our listeners? I'm uh, I'm Justin Sledge. I, uh, I host a YouTube channel called Esoterica, where we explore the arcane and history, philosophy, and religion. And what that means is that uh, we take a look at things that uh, don't typically get studied much by academics. So this would be things like alchemy, uh, magic, uh, witchcraft, mysticism, uh, the occult, um, Kabbalah, things like that. But what what I what I hope to bring to the the, the conversation is that I study those things from a uh, pretty rigorous academic uh, perspective. And um, and the, the the idea is that the the channel and my project is meant to be so that uh, everyone from a complete skeptic who doesn't believe in anything, complete hardline atheist, whatever, all the way to a uh, experienced occult practitioner can come to the channel and uh, get information about the figures and historical, te- uh, historical texts uh, and other kinds of things um, that are completely accessible and completely free. So it's not, uh, it's not me being the, the secret guard, the guardian of all the secrets. It's, it's uh, me doing my very best to take those uh, really difficult, really esoteric, really occult texts and making them accessible and freely accessible, maybe for the first time in, uh, in a long time. But, but you, what's your, do you have a personal religion? Yeah, I'm Jewish. So this doesn't com- come in conflict with like Jewish laws and stuff to present all this kind of forbidden books or information? Yeah, not really. Judaism has a pretty broad interpretation of what's uh, allowed. But also, I'm not teaching it from the perspective of someone who's trying to teach someone to do magic, for instance, right? So I'm, my channel doesn't like teach people how to do magic. It teaches people, this was a text uh, of how to do magic. Here's an introduction to it. Here's how it's said to work. Here's why it was written. Here's who wrote it. Here is the best translation, et cetera, et cetera. And so what I try to do is enable people that, you know, if they want to go practice it, I suppose they could. But I don't teach anyone how to do magic. I don't know that I know how to do magic. I think I wouldn't be doing YouTube if I could do magic. I would be I'd be out in the forest doing magic. Forests, stars, the darkness deep. I will never go to sleep. A ritual for nature wild. Searching for my inner child. Abracadabra, all the night. Hocus pocus, that's my right to manifest with pure intention, to travel to a new dimension. My will is done, and it will be. In nature, I am always free. Well, um, YouTube is a type of magic also, no? To in- influence so many people over distances with, yeah. with knowledge never being available before for these people. Yeah, you know, it's maybe that is a certain kind of magic, but, you know, at least from my Jewish perspective, from a perspective of my own religious beliefs, I believe that it's kind of like Socrates, and I don't want to compare myself to Socrates because I think that's ridiculous, but, you know, I have, uh, there's a religious obligation in Judaism to learn, and the word for to learn and the word for to teach in Hebrew are the same word. They're the same word. They're in a different form grammatically, but they're the exact same root word. And so I take it to be my, you know, I think it's a divine and holy thing to 
to teach and I'm really blessed and I feel incredibly lucky to have the education that I have. And so the ability to go onto YouTube and, and make this information available for anyone who wants to find it, um, I feel really lucky and I feel like it's a, a sacred duty to, to provide education for folks who want it. Uh, this YouTube channel is, uh, is founded through the Patreon page. It's supported through Patreon, but the basic idea is that anyone, I don't, there's no content that I produce that isn't accessible to everybody. Everything is accessible to everybody. You know, with the exception maybe of like the folks who support the channel via Patreon, we might do like a Zoom hangout or something, but I don't produce content that's hidden from anyone. What's all this confusion and fear and like uh, paranoia around the word magic, for example, because do you do have magic in the Torah, for example, sure. like uh, Moses, I think it ends with his story with like, oh, no other magician so big as Moses will come back in this time or something like, <laughs> I don't remember exactly, but they do mention Moses as being a magician. Yeah, I think that magic is always used, not always, often used as an othering word. It's always about People typically use words like magic or the occult to describe what other people do that's wrong. And typically they think they, they think of themselves as doing what's right, even if it is like magical, they wouldn't call it that because right, that that's not the way they, they conceive of themselves. Magic, magic in your eye. Magic, magic, can you fly? Touch me with your Magic fingers, touch me with your magic glimmer. Magic, magic, make me a pie. Oh, 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 oh. Have you been naughty or? Nice Magic, magic Be not hollow Magic, magic Give me something good to swallow No bad news No stress, no dentist Magic, magic Give me all Magic, magic Give me all Magic, magic Give me all Oh, cross my heart To you I will fall Magic, magic Oh, please be A fruitful life magic comes from the Greek word magi, right? It's the Persians. It's the Greeks thinking about the Persians and they hated the Persians. And so magic is what the evil Persians do. We don't do magic. We do religion, right? We do, right, we're, we're the good guys. And so I think the stigma around magic has to do with 
the way that we use the term, it's almost always used to other people to make people wrong, which I think is unfortunate. The other side of it, I think the reason why magic is stigmatized um, is because at least in the Western culture, it's often associated with women. And there's a great deal of misogyny, frankly, that operates in our culture. And so that's the association of the witch and that stuff I think is wrapped up with a lot of misogyny. Um, and I think the other part of it is fear. It's, it's terrifying if your neighbor can control the weather and cause hail to fall on your crops and kill your animals. If they can do that, that's terrifying. And I think that part of it is this, uh, this, this intense fear that there might be people out there in the world who can cheat. They have supernatural powers. And because they have those supernatural powers, they can cheat. They can, they can, they can summon a lover or they can, uh, and the, the magic around love magic is really terrifying, frankly. Um, and they can do all these things and they can cheat. And that they're, insofar as they're cheating, then that's not fair and that's scary. Uh, they're, they're, you know, we're, we're competing and they have an edge and that freaks me out. Yeah, the witches, they're women, women already having all those powers, the tits, the vagina, their, their sexual energy. I have no possibility to resist it. And now with, with herbs and ritual use and with the tits and the asshole, all together, the type of powerful magic penetrating my soul, dragging me to hell if it ever existed. Oh no, the witches, why didn't you manage to burn all the witches? Now they're coming back with female liberation, with all the power together, with the possibility to do it without getting judged. Having that power, having that body, I'm afraid. I'm so small as a man in this time. Oh no, where's my magic? Is my dick my magic wand? Well... Hocus pocus. I think part of the reason why the occult and magic are the objects of fear are, you know, the classic, they don't, people don't understand it, uh, and also these other factors, which I think include things like mis misogyny and the othering of other people and, uh, and the fear that these people may be powerful. They may be genuinely powerful. Maybe a little bit the same stigmatization the Jewish people has got as the witches had. Yeah. Because there is a lot of like, uh, kind of like occult practices and ideas that comes directly from the Torah and is developed out from the Torah and, uh, and all the rituals and stuff that many other religions has adopted. Other people don't really know about the knowledge and it scares them. I believe magic existed since humans existed, kind of. Yeah, yeah, but, but how you analyze magic, for example, some people would say a ritual would be magic and therefore like bad while praying that is done in very many religions and, and Christians do it is a type of, uh, of magic, no? It's something undescribable, something you can't really prove, something still about your will and intention. Yeah, supernatural causation, right? Supernatural causation, the idea that you can cause something through a supernatural means. You know, when you do it legitimately, it gets called religion. When you do it illegitimately, it gets called magic. And it all depends on who's calling what, what. Now it's about right. how you registrate yourself, no? It's like, if you do it wrongly, you're a cult. But if you do it right, you're Scientology, kind of. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that... Um, so yeah, I think that when we when we think about terms like the occult or think about terms like magic, um, 
these terms have a lot to, they often have more to do with the person describing them than the actual practice. One person's magic is another person's religion. One person's magic is another person's spirituality. It, it these terms, you know, there, there's a, um, there's an enormous amount of, 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 uh, connectivity between what's legitimate and illegitimate. It depends often on who's, who's doing the judging. Right. Um, and I think that you're right. Magic has existed probably since, I mean, I would say that it's probably existed since there have been human beings, um, you know, 200,000 years ago in Africa, I'm fairly confident they were shamans and all kinds of things. Of course, we don't have a lot of evidence for it, but as soon as civilization happens, there's already religion. Sumerians clearly have religion. And not only that, but they're also prohibiting certain kinds of supernatural practices, i.e. magic or witchcraft, um, that are already there. So by the time that they're writing, by the time writing even begins 5,000 years ago, they're all, these categories already exist. So they're there orally, right, centuries, millennia, maybe even hundreds of thousands of years. So there is like where I, I get a little bit afraid of writing because it's very powerful to put something in a book and it can be misunderstood and it's never direct knowledge. I was visiting a, a tribe in the Amazon of, of Ecuador, the Shuar, that is uh, a traditional headhunting tribe that is basically cutting the head of their enemy for ritual balance with the jungle is a type of population control. When they see it's too many people, they see everything as one energy. They make like ritual sacrifices of each other that they see as some kind of game. But when I sit down and talk to some of the old people in the tribe, they presented a type of knowledge to me that is not written and it's deeply philosophical and mystical. Is something in, in, in a way of, of expressing it that felt so authentic and I never saw in any type of Western philosophy or any kind of philosophy book or spiritual book or something. And these people are considered kind of primitive. You can say a lot of things, you can learn a lot of things, the human consciousness or the human mind can put so much knowledge in there. there. But if it don't come from your personal, personal experience, is it then valid as information? Just like you saying, you, you can spread this information online because you you don't really teach the people to do it you just talk about the history present the books and stuff but uh, that's how i see like new age has been growing up to become kind of like hollow and many people believe in things or teach things that they have no idea about where it's coming from or what the true meaning is in it and that's what i see a little bit with kabbalah right now also what what's happening with that because it come kind of like, yeah, now it's going to be released to the world or something and become many different uh, directions in teaching Kabbalah. How, how do we find the real knowledge in all this, uh, this ocean of gurus and, and teachers and people trying to present their hidden information? Yeah, that's a really challenging question. I mean, I can say that from my perspective, you know, I have, I have an obligation to history and to tell the truth the best that I can. And not to tell my truth, because I think my truth, even, even if it's interesting, it's just mine. But what I'm really interested in is trying to present historical information about the way this stuff evolved in the past in a way that's, that's accessible, that's, uh, that's uh, clear, that's transparent about what we know and what we don't know, because we don't know a whole lot. And I think that for me, one of the main things that sets off my radar that someone's like 
I don't know, bullshitting me is when they know everything. Anyone who knows everything is a, is, is a dangerous idiot. And that's like the most dangerous kind of people. People, anyone who claims to know it all. And one of the things that I found comfort with in my work, right, is being like, we have this text. These are all the things we know. And these are all the things we don't know. And these are the things maybe we will never know. And so I think that one of the ways that you can get to the truth of something or at least know how to be less wrong, because I don't know that we ever get to the truth of anything. It's just about being less wrong, probably, is by asking yourself, where does your knowledge end? Where do you, where do you, don't, where do you not know? And what can't be known? And being honest about that. And I think that both academics and like maybe guru types, when they like pretend to know a bunch of stuff, and I think it is pretense. I don't think it's real. I think you can measure a person's reliability by how much they say they don't know. And when a person says they don't know, and there's a lot of things that I'm, again, a lot of what I do on my channel is I try to say, this is what we know and so we don't know. And I really focus on what we don't know. Because what I find is that people are, what I think is that people are often pretty desperate for answers. We live in a pretty crappy world in a lot of ways. We live in a world that's dominated by people who don't have the world's best interests in mind. And we're dominated by those people and people feel pretty alienated. I think average people feel pretty alienated. They feel pretty sad and they want to know the truth. And I find that they can fall victim to people that pretend they know the truth and maybe even deceive themselves. But in my experience, the people that I respect the most are the people that are honest about what they don't know and what we don't know. And so for me, when I say, when you ask the question, how can we separate people who are reliable and for in terms of learning things from them, one of the surefire ways that I found is that when I read a book and the book says, you know, we don't know the answer to this question, that tells me that the author is telling me the truth. It's when the author tells me that they understand it all that I don't trust them. So I have a question. You studied philosophy as well. Did you sure. uh, study philosophy before you engaged in your Jewish religion? Or you became Jewish before philosophy? I was... Yeah, I was both. Both. I was Jewish and philosophical uh, from the beginning. And and yeah, that makes for a difficult a difficult marriage because... On the one hand, religion is a is a at some level about beliefs and doing things, and on the course of the other hand, philosophy is about asking questions and balancing both of those worlds is, uh, as you might imagine, really challenging. Philosophy, meaning love of wisdom, something that Justin Sledge seemed to dedicate his life to, reading book after book. Wisdom is something people search for in many ways, in books, in psychedelic plants, life experiences, death experiences, and so on.
trust you now because you you admit that you're wrong sometimes that's what you're building up for you're trying to to inspire me or manipulate me because like it's sometimes like a very 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 fine uh, line between that for example someone makes a movie like natural born killers this guy get inspired to kill his whole family from watching the movie it's inspiration or did he get manipulated by a bad violent movie that presents fake values how much responsibility do this person have individually to say this is bullshit and this is something i want to believe in do you know any religion that is never did something really bad to people that never manipulated people i don't think there are such things as religions i think there are people there are religious people and because religions don't really exist, their religions are very amorphous things. But no, are is there any religion or group of religious people that have never done anything bad? Absolutely not. Like what's going on in Palestine right now that's being perpetuated by Zionists who are also Jewish. Uh, it's reprehensible. I'm analyzing like it's a lot of stuff in the Torah that I find extremely interesting. And I, I, I it's uh, one thing that do attract me a lot is is the creational story and the disconnection to the paradise and the symbolism in that and the, 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 the kind of like where humans sinned, for example. It's like the, the tree of life. If you see one, if you can go, if you can fall downwards, you can climb upwards. So then you have to remake all those mistakes you did somehow. And like one of the clear mistakes where God still was with humans, but kind of like, oh, you start to get annoying now. Soon I will leave you a little bit. Kind of was like the killing one brother of the other brother. Know that that symbol of of brotherhood, of uh, humans killing their brother, you know? And it's like to find out, like, uh, to make that brotherhood again. But it's such a complicated subject. I don't want to talk too much about it because I'm not there. But still, it's still it's like, because Jewish and, and, and Muslims are the same tribe, no? Originally. Cousins, yeah, cousins and yeah. So first stop killing, then stop jealousy and envy and the next would be stop blaming the one you love like in the story man should take his responsibility not blame woman 
back to the final state, feeling shame and guilt for your natural state. So take your clothes off, dance naked, hug and kiss your brother in harmony and connection, love each other unconditionally, naked in the forest, naked in paradise, back again, a new beginning and a new reborn time of confusion. And again, I don't want to veer too much into a conversation about Palestine and Israel because I'm, I'm not an expert in that conversation and I'm, I'm not an Israeli or a Palestinian for that matter. Um, no, we're so just talking about the values in general. Like, let's just see it as a symbol no? like, uh, of the conflicts in the world in general. Where, where did humans fail in your idea about Jewism and, and the Garden of Eden? Where the, when, when the woman, women have been blamed a lot. We talked about the witches no? and that right. uh, the witches got burned. A lot of women because they started to get control over their repro reproduction uh, and they knew how to use herbs to make abortions. So, like a lot right. of these herbs have been forgotten about. A lot of natural medicine got eliminated from the witch burnings. But it seems like they also be picking on the liberal woman, the woman that has control over her sexuality and her body. I, I'm talking in a philosophical way now. I don't believe in anything, really. I find just the creational story interesting as a philosophical riddle. And then it's just, okay, the, the woman, she get blamed by many Christian, by many religious people that has been like stuck in the consciousness that woman brought us out of paradise. She was the temptation. What God says in the Bible is like, I curse the whole earth for your sake. And he says it to the man. And the reason is because he blames the one he should love. He says, ah, the woman, the woman, she did it. And actually he's not taking responsibility for his own actions. You, if, if man would be like, okay, I ate the fruit, sorry. The God would be like, okay, this person take responsibility. But it's like this, like not be able to take responsibility for your actions. Maybe that's, I never saw people talking too much about it, but I was like, mm, maybe that's the ultimate sin actually. Not like blaming the woman from uh, people studying Kabbalah that I read that was like the pre-story that woman actually convinced man to eat the fruit because like, hey, don't you see, God wants us to go on this journey, but we have to make that decision ourselves with our free will somehow. Say like, okay, we go on the journey. It's a trick. And she got man to eat the fruit. Have you heard anything about this? Yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, there's a lot of interpretations of this story. Uh, but typically the the, the most of the mainstream Jewish interpretation of that story is that they they made a mistake, but that that mistake doesn't bear on us. In Christianity, it's seen as the fall, like that's when human beings fundamentally messed up. But in Judaism and also in Islam, there's no conception of original sin, the idea that we're inherently bad from birth or Christianity has that concept and that's that's a concept that they've developed, but but, but they did you, lose the connection to paradise. It wasn't like some this like getting thrown out of paradise. That happens in Judaism. Yeah, I mean, so it was it, there was situation was pretty good, but for instance, the text says of the uh, the woman, right, Chava Eve, that I will increase your pain in childbirth. I will increase it. I found out why. Okay, I have, I have like, I'm studying it because we do like, we did this fuck for forest and we have many friends experimenting with it. And we found out something you heard about orgasmic birth. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because God don't really curse women. God is just, a, oh God, you, you're, because they were naked, but they had no shame. 
then when they their eyes were open they saw they were naked the first uh, disconnection to nature was oh shit our body is disgusting so they hidden themselves in that moment you're afraid of your body women cramp up and get nervous when they give birth that gives pain when they give birth god just Oh no, you will have pain when you get birth now, kind of. Not really, it's made in the mind of the woman. The, the birth giving part is the same as receiving the birth, that is a sexual act. So why not, why not give the birth in a sexual act like the baby got? It's only because of values and moral from a society that's moralized this, that make women like, oh shit, my vagina and something coming out is dangerous, instead of actually masturbating while giving birth and actually be able to release the child through an orgasm. And then, then you like somehow manage to like take away that curse. And I know, I know it's possible because I have a friend that did it in Berlin. She had the, uh, two orgasmic births with friends around her playing like drums and, and music instruments. And she was like... Yeah. I, I, you know, having my, my partner's had two kids and I, I definitely can't speak for, uh, for women in any respect. What is orgasmic birth? Orgasmic birth, also referred to as ecstatic birth, is when pleasurable sensations are felt during childbirth. It doesn't always have to mean orgasm in a sexual way. There are tons of variations in the world of pleasurable birth as every woman's body and experience is completely different. Orgasms can happen spontaneously or with the help of stimulation, masturbation from yourself or your partner. Women can experience multiple orgasms, full-body orgasms, or more traditional orgasms as the baby slides further down the birth canal and begins to crown. How often does orgasmic birth occur? What limited research there is on orgasmic birth is based on self-reported information from birthing people and their medical providers. While this doesn't give qualitative evidence, it's important to trust people's lived experiences. A 2013 study in the journal Sexologies found that midwives reported seeing 0.3% of women experience orgasms during birth. In the United States, however, the majority of women, roughly 98%, give birth in a hospital setting. You may know from personal experience, or from the experience of a friend, that hospital settings aren't always conducive to having a pleasurable experience. Bear this with the fact that we've been conditioned to think of childbirth as an excruciating and inconvenient part of womanhood, it's not a complete shock that women feel afraid to give birth. Adrenaline, which is produced when we feel fear or anxiety blocks the release of oxytocin and can slow the progression of labor. When our fear blocks the natural cocktail of love hormones produced to counter the intensity of labor, the feelings of pain can become overwhelming. But anything anything at all that, uh, that aids women in the process of liberating their spiritual uh, liberating their sexuality and liberating uh the act of of childbirth from any constraints put on them by anything is uh i am i am very much about that most religions uh, sexuality is kind of a very big subject in many religions and it's such a big part of us but most of the time it's been used to kind of make people afraid of themselves afraid of like talking about the subject about experimenting in their own way it's very stigmatized because there's a great deal of power in it i mean and also, a lot of religions historically had a great deal of interest in controlling people's bodies and controlling women's bodies. And um, they had the institutions that ran these religions had an interest in maintaining social order by, in one way, controlling women's bodies and how women's fertility worked. And so, of course, one way of controlling people is stigmatizing uh, sexuality in order to control it. And uh, obviously, um, People should, I mean, it seems to me at least that, that people should, that if we're going to be 
committed to the idea of the autonomy of individual people to to enjoy their bodies and to experiment with their bodies and discover their bodies and obviously some rabbi or imam or priest or whatever needs to Oh, fuck off. And that's the like, problem, you know, we live in a world that is so confusing. I, I heard you, for example, talked about like conscious use of psychoactive drugs. And I'm like, conscious use of things we haven't learned by our society to use conscious sexuality, conscious sexual acts without some chaos before we manage to figure it out ourselves. I think it's very difficult uh, because then you have all these teachers coming back again and want to abuse this to get their own power and stuff. Like, sexuality is a very powerful uh, force. When I think about conscious use of psychedelic drugs or sexuality, what I really think of is experimentation. Because you're absolutely right to say that we, we don't know. This is a, this, because of the suppression of uh, the, the demonization of psychedelic drugs and the demonization of, of sexuality, um, there is no culture, or there, there is less of a culture, at least in the Western world, uh, I think this is less true in some other parts of the world, but this is, there's less there's less uh, knowledge about how to use these things responsibly because they have been made taboo and they've been subject of of um, of uh, drug legislation and things like this uh, prohibition. What I am excited for, I will say, is that for instance, Johns Hopkins University is doing a pioneering study right now on the use of psychedelic drugs by clergy, and that's incredibly important. And I'm very like enthusiastic. My, my partner actually signed up to be part of the experiment. She's a rabbi, um, but she'd already used, they only wanted people who had never used psychedelic drugs before, but she had used them. So I guess I'm outing her, but I'm sure it's fine. Uh, but I really do find that like for me, as a person who's interested in philosophy and the limits of experience and consciousness and other kinds of topics, the idea that we would bracket out the use of psychedelic drugs it's just stupid. And the, the fact that they're there, and, and it does, it is the case that there remains an anti-psychedelic bias that runs all the way through academia, uh, that runs all the way through, uh, I think, psychiatry, although I think psychiatry is changing. I can't speak for psychiatrists. But um, it's just a stupid bias. It's just bigotry. And it's clear that these substances have been in the past and are now powerful mechanisms by which to explore the structure of consciousness and the kinds of things that consciousness are are capable of. But they're also able to break up organized religion and stuff. I know like I read somewhere, I think it's from the Talmud or something, something about God discussing with the angels about the, if they should create uh, create uh, humans or not and all the angels and I know what the fuck, don't do that, we don't create humans. He, he takes the, or it, takes the angel of, uh, of knowledge and throws it to the ground. And he says, now, now I can send the humans there. And I was like, mm, maybe that's like a, like a symbolism of psychoactive plants or something. Hey God, uh, don't make uh, the humans uh... Well, I will, I will throw uh, knowledge to the ground. That will help them. Okay, uh, well, you throw knowledge to the ground. We have, we have some new information. They, they did find that knowledge. They, 
did eat it, but because it was prohibited and the society developed into new things, all that kind of consciousness, your knowledge created from them, created more like a paranoid, delusional idea about the world. They're all paranoid now. They don't know what to do. I, I know you trod multiple uh, knowledges to the ground. I guess they found it uh, too late since the uh, connection to the knowledge was broken broken many years ago. <coughs> uh, 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 yeah, sorry. Uh, well, um, I have one more plant. Uh, I, I will throw that to the ground. I'm sorry for this. Uh, uh, well, uh, well, this plant is a little bit more complicated, but uh, here you got it. Uh, here's opium for you, humanity. Could be, yeah. In, in fact, in the Talmud, it's, the rabbis even argue whether it, whether it would have been better off for us not to have existed, and they think that it would have been better off for us not to have existed. <laughs> yeah. uh, but now that we're here, we have to be righteous, is what they say. Well, okay, yeah, they have to be more righteous. I think they are messing up even more every day. Yeah, it's. I don't know. What do you think, Leona? I, I just want to rewind a little bit to this uh, sex magic experimenting. What if you're doing this sex magic experimenting and starting to rain frogs on your neighbor's lawn? That doesn't happen. Uh, no, it no. doesn't happen. Well, if it will happen, you will be very powerful and you shouldn't do it anymore. Like you should find out a little bit more what you're doing before you do it. I guess I would be like, wow, do it again. It depends who you're around, no? I don't know what magic is like. I, I think it's something with intention. I've seen that I could see future sometimes with, with actually help of mushrooms, where it more cause and effect. I'm like, do this, this, and this, and this, and this will happen. And I tried it, and I'm like, yeah, it did actually happen. And then I did with parts of my ego manifest parts of my reality that really, really destroyed my life in so many ways. So I, I don't know, like, but that's the part of trying and failing, no? You really want to make frogs rain? No, no, I'm just saying the, the danger of experimenting, like <laughs> what could happen? What could, like? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that uh, in my understanding of contemporary sex magic, it's less about producing effects like frogs falling out of the sky, um, <laughs> but more about changing the, con the, the changing the, the, one psychodynamics, right? It's more about changing oneself than changing reality so much. Um, although I don't want to speak for contemporary occultists too much. Um, yeah, I think of ex experimenting in sort of the classical scientific sense, right? Like you try to form a hypothesis and you try to test it. Um, and maybe one of the mechanisms by which you do that is by, you know, thinking through your own sexual limits or your own, not sexual limits in terms of things like consent, but like your own, like, again, we're also, we have to remember that most of what we now think of as sex magic developed primarily in like the Victorian world, where obviously sexuality of any kind was completely taboo, basically. And there's a saying, and maybe it's by Freud, I think, I think Freud said it, that, um, uh, in the Victorian period, they pretended that sex didn't exist. And in our period, we'll pretend that nothing else does. And so I, in some ways, I wonder if the, the sex magic stuff has lost some of its power because of the destigmatization of sexuality compared to the Victorians, obviously, compared to the Victorians. But yeah, even, I mean, even now, like it's, uh, you know, the the questions around sexuality are still, I think, politically very interesting because, for instance, the you know basic things like the necessity of 
but seems to be the necessity of sex workers to be able to exist, to do their work and have their work protected. And things like unions and things like syndicates that protect their work and viewing sex work as work, no different than factory work or writing code for a computer or whatever. So we still have these weird stigmas around sexuality where we, for instance, can't imagine sex work being work, which seems completely stupid to me. People say it's like the original works. It's like somehow the symbol of trade from the beginning. I believe we should give and take without any type of like feeling for ourselves in the end in the perfect world. But when we live in a world where, where we do have to trade with a certain type of value to get something in return, it's kind of weird to, to forbid people to, to somehow uh, to use their body as a part of that because that's how work was in the beginning kind of and sex work is just a part of of that in itself it's like okay here's a banana okay can i have that kind of like in the beginning i guess it was very like exchange for food or exchange exchange for services something i'm getting back now uh, here in mexico actually more and more women are doing like okay I fuck you if you fix my internet for free or if you give me a bicycle. It's like it's a direct exchange part. And again, in, 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 in capitalism, all consent is somehow compromised. There's no doubt about that. Like all consent is somehow compromised. But it seems to me from thinking about labor, and I've written about labor and thought a lot about it, but it seems to me that sex work is work and should be treated like any other form of labor is like, it again like witchcraft a little bit like there because sex work many times it's a lot of women in sex work and it's also sure. about uh, controlling women's like money I, or the way they are having the freedom because many times that tr tension that's something i'm talking to leona about and she's not agreeing on because she's still the, she's aging i'm aging i'm like this aging ecological porn star but i can't she's doing her like live shows online where people like pay for her sitting just touching her body and I don't have that I don't have people that she claims I'm not doing good enough advertisement but I'm like okay my valuta I would sit every day and get money it's such a good work that type of sex work like sitting because you have this distance you're just sitting in front of a camera and be like ah oh, if oh, you yeah. haven't found your right audience yet and exactly. uh, I'm pretty sure that's what she says <laughs> exactly <laughs> but why she, she just, finds just she's not, like a walking audience, she's like a work, walking uh, promotion somehow I have to then have to I have to find my audience How did you find your audience, Lena? Um, mostly on Fuck for Forest. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Women are so attractive again. I see now in the new world, uh, you can get any kind of job, you can get any kind of success uh, easier. Than I, I'm so ugly. Uh, why am I feeling so ugly? You can make money from you with just your body. My dick is considered offensive. Well, Fuck you, women. I will try to keep you down. I will, don't I will keep you away from working with what you want or manifest your freedom in the way you want or say what you want to do or not with your body. How disgusting. I don't want that. I, okay, woman, you did it. You are the blame for everything. The temptation, the snake. The snake, I tell you. And I'm... Jealous? I feel jealousy. I feel envy and this is the reason you create this. You create my relationship to want to suppress and control you. This is your magic, you witch. 
you deceiver, temptation of sin. So yeah, so I, I yeah, and also I think that um, you know uh, women have women and queer people, trans people have it hard enough. And again, we also should think you know, again. I think about sex work, right? When you know that's also disproportionate disproportionately affects queer people and trans people. You know who have traditionally done sex work and suffered a great deal of violence uh, because of it. Yeah, it just it's, it's always seeming to me as strange that that we don't think through the question of sexual labor um, and think about it as a question, a labor question. Like, like it just seems like there should be like a, you know, there's like a union for people who make cars. There should be a union of people who like, you know, fuck. That's like, it seems like a thing. I mean, again, like the same with like ancient Greece, right? Like the ancient Greeks thought masturbation was strange, not because you, they thought it was strange because why would you do that yourself? Why don't you go to a professional? <laughs> I, I get that. Makes sense. Uh, makes sense. <laughs> like that, that's what they thought it was. It wasn't that you were like getting off. They're like, why would you do that by like, you're not a professional. Like why? It's like, it's like, like, are you a plumber? Like you could flick your own pipes, but you might not be very good at it. Well, why, why, why not go to a professional? And again, in the ancient Greek world, I mean, my, one of my favorite experiences is going to Ephesus. And Ephesus, of course, has uh, the remains of one of the greatest libraries in history there, right, you know, right here. And across the street, there were two brothels. And that's like right next to the public library. And so the idea that philosophers and scientists would be studying and then take a break and go across the street. And, you know, of course, God willing, they, you know, there would be people there that would be paid adequately, protected, consenting, etc. And I don't know that that's true. But one can, I don't, it seems to be, to me, very easy to imagine a world in which there's, it seems silly to m masturbate because there are enough sex workers who are good at what they do that you would gladly pay every once in a while to just to have more people service. masturbate. Give, a, give a, some money to an old sex junkie. Hey, hey, excuse me, uh, uh, can you give... Uh, uh, a coin to an old sex junkie. <sighs> Please, uh, I'm very poor and I, I have to masturbate myself. Please help me to get some money. Can you can you give some money to old sex junkie? Uh, I need someone to masturbate me. I, I'm poor. Please. Oh, thank you, mister. Thank you. Thank you. <sighs> okay, can you give me some money for an old sex junkie? <laughs> Oh, thank, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, thank you. One, two, three, five. Four. Okay, can you give me some money to our old sex junkie? It's like a poor. Uh -huh. It's just poor people that masturbate. Yeah, or, or yeah, or and again, there was a whole wide range of brothels in the ancient Greek world, right? That that served a wide range of people. And again, I'm sure they were dominated, populated by slaves and things like that. And this is that's obviously a third of the population of ancient Greece and Rome were slaves. And so, but again, I, I think that what I think about that is that stigmatization of sex work is just part of the stigmatization of work. But it's where the stigmatization of work and the stigmatization of women, queer people, trans people, it's where that, that intersection really does a lot of harm. And I find that, that uh, that's really, even Thomas Aquinas, one of my, you know, Catholic theologian, you know, it's Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas argued in the 13th century that getting rid of sex work was was stupid 
because sex work was something like the sewers. Obviously, you don't want to be in the sewers, for Thomas, obviously. But if you don't have the sewers, then the shit runs in the streets. Yeah. And so he is like, it's a necessity. Like, it's not good, but there's something necessary about it. And I think that that kind of like, the same way the Dutch think of it as well at some level, although they've gotten more conservative about it. It just, I, I just find the conversation around sex work just to be, it's so primitive. We have this incredibly primitive conversation where it to me seems quite obvious from an ethical and political and a policy position. I think it's a little bit like natural medicine in a way. It's like controlled by the industry. It's like if people are sexually unsatisfied in small groups, small family structures, tribal people in Latin America where I'm living right now, many groups before didn't know monogamy as we do and therefore didn't know jealousy and envy as we do. It's like, oh, my neighbor has a bigger car than you or have more than me. They were like kind of sharing things in one big family where they did have different rules about who could be together, but not as our way of doing it. And then I'm like, okay, these people have this freedom, just like natural medicine is challenging the the medical industry sometimes if they would like make it more available more people will do it more people would have also a, a kind of like a, a, a good relationship to, to to working like that and more people will be sexually satisfied so less it would not benefit the capitalistic society maybe i think it has to do with fear again it goes back to fear people are afraid of what things they can't understand they can't understand this, that's I don't know. I know. I know some women that are jealous at prostitutes projecting their this the, their disgust to their life on people. Like, oh, poor them! They are having such a bad life. They are like working with stuff that is like downgrading. But actually, they are feeling that about themselves, and they're projecting that on people. They didn't go and ask. They were like, "Oh yeah, do do you need help out of this?" For me, I think uh, you that studied philosophy. I think. That philosophy is something that is needed for people to study more, to be able to have this conversation. I don't think you study philosophy. I think you. I think you just start to think. You. You just want more people to think, Leona. Yeah, I want more people to think because yeah. I think people are indoctrinated. They are not thinking from themselves, and and that is the danger. The tribe, uh, the Shuar in Ecuador, when we asked them what was good against stupidity, was ayahuasca. Is it? But then we now then we're back to that again. We live in a world where it's like anarchy doesn't work. We feel, okay, now maybe it will be better. It will just destroy the modern society. People will go crazy, kill each other and make small groups like fighting each other. It would be better for nature, I guess, anarchy. But it doesn't work as a structure between people. As in you have a structure between people, you have politics, you have religion, the education. When I saw this Jesus camp, movie is like a documentary about the fundamental Christians in America, how they're brainwashing their children. But in the end, it is not brainwashing. It's just their upbringing in their religious system. Just like they say, they say like if Harry Potter was born in the Old Testament, he will get executed. Are you that uh, from the Jewish religion? Would you kill Harry Potter if he was doing this witchcraft in the Old Testament? I mean, you didn't I, I, kill. You didn't kill Moses. You were very proud. I think. I don't think. I think they're wrong. If there's any evangelical Christians out there, the Jewish people will not uh, will not kill Harry Potter in the Old Testament. I don't think so. So my question is more: You have two children, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, with your children, are you 
talking about religion or you're talking about philosophy? What is the most important at a young age? Yeah, I mean, they're both really little. They're, you know, one of them, one of my children is only 10 months old and the other is uh, almost three. Uh, So they're really little. What I think is most important is to cultivate two, two things. One is cultivating them and honoring the questions they ask and being, yeah, like uh, one thing I hope to do for both my children is that children, in my experience, ask the best questions. It's adults that get stupid because we quit asking questions. Children are like naturally philosophers and scientists. They ask questions and they solve problems. And I find that impulse among children to be the most admirable, like adults have everything to learn from that. And so God willing, I'll be a parent who never shuts down that impulse and always tries to build that impulse up. I think the other thing also is that philosophy and science, Aristotle said that philosophy begins with awe, that the world strikes you as so overwhelming that you have to figure it out. And I think we live in, many people live in a world that the world is not awe. It's just drudgery and boredom and going to work or whatever. And I want to always work hard as a parent to instill in my children that the world is a very awesome place, that nature is awesome, that quarks and atoms are awesome, that history is awesome, that math is awesome, that, 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 that there's awe that we can, we can be blown away by the fact that that pie never ends and never repeats. <laughs> the climate change is awesome. Yeah, and I think also like that we, that we live in a world that's also precarious, that it may come, it may, this, may, this all may come crashing down. And so, yeah, you also best believe that, you know, I also will teach my children how to sink a well yeah. and, how to, and how to, you know, make a fire on their own and how to Survival try to is awesome. Like learn how to take care of yourself and not just be able to turn off and on your mobile phone. And that's what we're yeah, doing here yeah. now. And we, we took that choice from being like kind of uh, decadent, uh, erotic performance artists in Berlin, uh, having like kind of crazy group sex parties every second day with our people loved and it was amazing. We got bored of it. We felt not empty. And we decided to just leave it all and get ourselves like an ecological center in the mountain of Mexico where we try to kind of learn how to take care of ourselves. You're welcome to come if you need a holiday uh, in Oaxaca uh, on the mountain. You, it's a very mystical place. W- w- well, w- what is mystic? What does, what does that mean? I'm using it now, mystic. What do you put in the word mystical? It's a really dif- difficult term to pin down. Uh, it comes from the Greek word muon, which means to be quiet, which is funny. <laughs> uh, I mean, it means to close, actually, to close the mouth for an ancient Greek. At least in philosophy, we typically use the word mystical to indicate the ability to uh, the ability to access the truth without mediation. So it's immediate apperception of the truth. Now, typically, we can't do that because we have to either use language or logic or math or something to get to the truth. But the mystics claim to be able to perceive the truth directly with no mediation. Typically, we use the word mystical to indicate that ability. It's, it's immediate perception of the truth, the absolute truth. Um, now, of course, the word mystical is used in all kinds of ways. But typically in philosophy, we, in religion, we use it that way. 
So the mystical, the mystic person has a kind of experience, and that experience directly plugs them into the truth. And um, that experience often isn't discursive. They can't describe it. It's often ineffable. It's often very brief. And so typically we use the word mystical that way. But the word actually has a lot of different uses. And this is, it's just one of the problematic things about words like mystical or magic is that it, it, it heavily depends on who's doing the defining of it, which is why it's very important that when you're doing discussions around mysticism that you, you lay out clearly what you mean and what you don't mean. Otherwise, the conversation can go off the rails a little bit. But that's typically the way that I use the term. The Jewish tribe has very deep traditions and very like connecting uh, traditions with family in a very interesting way, in a very like close way. And I'm feeling, to be honest, I'm feeling very lonely right now. I, I'm pretty feel connected to this tribe that uh, shrink, shrink heads in uh, Amazon in Ecuador, but I don't, don't speak their language. And yes, like I'm confused that like we are living in such a fragmented world. I'm very inspired by your uh, esoterica online because you, you don't pinpoint one philosophy. You don't say that one thing is right. It's more like a history around different way of thinking about reality. And uh, it made me feel like connected to that. But it's really, do you think religion is more about maybe feeling connected to someone, feeling like in a family than it is about actually deep roots about knowing God? Probably depends on the religion, probably depends on the person. Do most people really believe in it or do most people do it because of the... Uh, I see that my neighbors here that is Catholics, I think they do it because they come together, but they don't really know so much about Jesus and they don't really care so much about the book. It seems to be more the social part. Obviously, religion plays a huge social role and there's no doubt that we want to be connected to something and each other. I mean, we're social creatures. Ecology means connected everything. I was like, why can't we like, I, I'm like a little bit sad about how religion is fighting each other about what God is while our planet is getting destroyed. It's like something like really practical we could all do now instead of fighting each other. It's like, yeah, we've done this for so long time, but we don't have water or air to our children in the next generation. And the only way we could deal with it is to connect to each other and work for what is the problem in the time, no? And still religions makes people fight about differences that seems to not bring us there. Human beings have never been really known for their, uh, their long-sightedness. So I think that uh, if we can see past our own nose, we're doing pretty good. Uh, if you can see just a couple inches past your own nose, you're, you're, you're doing better than most people. I looked, I looked at history and I don't see... There are only a few places in history where I looked at, I can see humans uh, in big groups imagining uh, being in a better world and doing it. But yeah, I think that uh, it's not surprising that typically individual people, especially, and even other you know, religious groups or whatever, they're, they're, uh, they're not especially smart. Like we're we're smart when we want to be, but we're also like fantastically stupid most of the time. And when we talk about stupidity and ignorant, are, are, are you vegetarian? Vegetarian? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we uh, we eat very little meat. Yeah, very but, little. But it said because it says that's one thing I'm like. It says really clear in the Torah that we made just to eat fruits and vegetables. 
Yeah, I yeah, we, I mean, also, I just think that the meat industry is basically unsustainable. It's it's also ecologically a disaster. But but that's like, I want to um, talk about manipulation then, because you have this like I know kosher rules, and I read somewhere like because it's perverted somehow. And I understand it very clear to, for example, boil meat from the mother in milk that comes from the some, comes from the same like uh, or or even worse like the calf boil the calf in the milk of the mother for example so then they made these rules about like okay if you eat it with a certain amount of time between then you get away from it but i i feel that's like a little bit cheating no i mean yeah i mean there's different rules about how the those laws get teased out and man the the rabbis are very strict about you know even chickens you can't mix cheese milk and chickens even though milks don't give like chickens don't give milk um Yeah, I think that the the a lot of what motivates a lot of those rules in the Torah are the the people that wrote those documents, at least some of the people that wrote them were really concerned about keeping separate things separate. And they they really were worried about the idea that that there could be contamination, ritual contamination. And we don't have this concept anymore. The western world never had this concept of ritual contamination that existed mostly in Semitic cultures. And this these is part of the reason why these ideas survive that there are certain kinds of things that ritually contaminate you and they're not morally bad, but once you, once you undergo them, then you can't, you, there's certain things you can't do anymore. Okay, let's discuss the, the, this uh, part uh, of uh, the Torah. Uh, this thing, they were naked, uh, but they had no shame. It must mean that the shame you feel for society is is accurate the way you, you you listen to the people about how they see shame and that you feel naked and have no shame is somehow like a, the, the, as a child not being educated not understanding the rules and laws that we should follow in a moralistic and pure society this is definitely a meaning that uh, purity comes before nudity and that nudity should be hidden as a part of unity with the God. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree on that. Yeah, it sounds logical. Yeah, let's rewrite that. Next is uh, the, the uh, they were only given this seed-bearing fruits, uh, seed-bearing plants, uh, that should be your food. This must be like a meaning that the way we are killing the animal should be in a purely like seedful way that it brings forth joy to eat the meat, to put your teeth in the dead animal, to feel the force from uh, what you killed uh, run through you. It's the seed of, uh, of uh, power. It's the seed of control, of putting the planet under us as God wanted us to do, to keep the planet down, to control the animals, be over the animals, is what this text is saying. Yeah, yes, Master, I, I agree. Let's, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. And so, yeah, a lot of the rules around kashrut and a lot of the rules around uh, meat and milk just follow from those kinds of things. And it's funny because uh, when you get into the really dense part of the rules, um, if you eat meat, the time period between having milk is long. But if you drink milk, you can simply wash your mouth out before you eat meat. Hmm. But so it's uh, the, the way the contamination happens is very complicated. What is the? I'm just have a, I have a question about something I wondered a long time about what what uh, what uh, rabbis would say what they say about the the part in the Bible that says like about having a slave that if you beat your slave 
and it survives for a certain amount of days. If it dies right away, you have to get punished, but you don't get death penalty because it's your slave. But if it's if you beat the slave and it's, it survives after some days, and it survives some days and then die after three days, then you don't get punished. What does this mean in a mystical way or in a in in a way of teaching values? Oh, I don't know in the mystical way. I that I don't know. I the think in terms way. of value. <laughs> Yeah, that that the, in the, I don't know of any I don't know of the mystical if there are any mystical interpretations <laughs> of that. Um, it's curious. I don't know. I don't, specifically, those sections, I don't know what the law, how the law developed, uh, because in the Hebrew, the word the word for slave and the word for servant, there's no difference in the word. It's uh, anyone you, you anyone you hire. An eved is anyone you hire. But they should still not uh, beat them till they die. They say they say like if you beat them and they die, it's your if it's your property. So it must be like a slave that you have a property of. Oh, for can't. sure. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of and again, it's also the kinds of stuff. And I look at the Torah and the Talmud, and there's all kinds of dreadful things in there. And I'm like, I look at that, and I, as a as a Jewish, modern Jewish person, I'm like, I don't want to have anything to do with any of that. Like the laws around I don't know wine, I think are just basically racist. There's all these technical laws about wine for Judaism that I think are just racism, and so, or at least xenophobia. And like, so for me, I follow a school of Judaism called Reconstructionism that says that one has to strike a balance between modern values and tradition. That the tradition gets a vote, but it can't veto modernity. And so, it's it the 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 form of Judaism that I subscribe to called Reconstructionism says that the task of every generation is to reconstruct Judaism given what we now know. So you don't think the Torah is perfect? No. I, I, I think the creational story is perfect. And then after that, it just tells how humans are after they lost connection to paradise. So for sure, it will not be perfect. For sure, you will have killing. For sure, you will have incest. For sure, you will have manipulation because you lost connection to the to the unity of nature somehow, you know, like that's where as I can't, I, for me, I like, if I'm going to see the Torah as like, a, for me, as like a mystical document, I'm mostly interested in the part before they lost connection to, to paradise, because after that, I can see what the fuck is going on. I'm in it. I know it's like, okay, I know what, I don't need to read about other shit people did before, but they did the same. They made war, raped and killed each other, enslaved each other. That's it. It still goes on. So I'm like, okay, the only part of the Bible that tells something different is the is the Genesis and the creational story. You know? so I still find that interesting because it's like they knew so long time ago that they were naked, but they had no shame. It's especially put out they had no shame. The, the person that wrote it didn't write they were naked. He wrote they were naked and they had no shame, something that means that's very important. And it means that the shame part is important on the disconnection to paradise for me. And I'm like, okay, it do make a sense when I see what shame do to people. Uh, actually, uh, we talked to a, psychi a psychiatrist that has said shame is the reason why sometimes people get pedophiles or get abusive. That the shame itself and the fear of doing it makes a psychological thing that you actually act on it. Basically, and I'm like, hmm, maybe it actually is a, is a kind of very interesting old philosophy, I will say. Yeah, so, it could be. Uh, so uh, you read a lot of books, no? Yeah, for better or worse. <laughs> so I mean, this. Why are you reading these books? Why? Yeah, why? Why, why do you <laughs> read all these books? Why do I read all these books? Um, one reason I read them is because I think a lot of other people don't read them. Um, you know, like how many how many people read 
I don't know, Plato's Republic. Plato's Republic is read in every philosophy course at college or whatever. And I think Plato, I, and I'm actually teaching Plato's Republic now, so I'm like literally, it's literally sitting right here. So that book is a book that's like really well tread, and we have a lot of people working on it, and a lot of people study it. So when I want to pick up a book like, I don't know, this book, The Writings of a Mystic from the 13th Century, that book doesn't get read a lot and doesn't get talked about a lot. And so part of the reason why I read the books that I do is because other people don't. And so I try to read them and present the information in them so that people can get access to it because typically people can't read that stuff or don't. Um, and also, um, I think they're just part of history. And history, the entire history of, of human beings and, and literature or whatever, religion, it deserves its study. And this is just a part of history and religion that doesn't get studied, in my opinion, enough. And because it doesn't get studied, it's been suppressed, actually, by historians and by religious people. And so because it doesn't get studied, it, it leads to a huge gap in our knowledge. And that gap just needs to be filled. And so I take it as part of my obligation to, to, to read these weird books and, and try to present them in a way that gives people access to them. What's the most forbidden book you know? The most, uh, like through history, the most controversial forbidden book. Banned books. Are books or other printed works, such as essays or plays, which are prohibited by law or to which free access is not permitted by other means. This practice of banning book is a form of censorship from political, legal, religious, moral or less commercial motives. Banned books include fictional work such as novel, poems and plays and non-fictional work such as biography and dictionaries. No. Um yeah, I mean there definitely were books that people that the church banned and things like that. I think that the books that really caused the most kind of damage were books that were not like occult books. I think of books like uh, Darwin, The Origin of Species and The Descent of Man. That, that was a genuinely dangerous book. Or I think Copernicus's books on the or, or Darwin's or not Darwin, uh, Galileo's book, uh, The Sidereal Messenger. Uh, where he showed definitively that Jupiter had moons and Venus had cycles. That was a genuinely d dangerous book to the intellectuals of the time. I, yeah, I think that, you know, that these kinds of books like that, I think those are really the dangerous books. Um, books of magic and things like that, yeah, they were illegal, and sometimes people got executed for them, but not as much as you would think. Not as much as you would think. Um, I mean, vernacular translations of the Bible when the Bible was translated into people's native language, when, when it was translated into English and German, where people, normal common people could read it, that was really dangerous. And so I think that often what makes a book dangerous and controversial is sometimes the truths that are in it, like Galileo or Darwin, and sometimes it's what the book represents. And often these books represent challenges to the authority figures or challenges to the systems of power that exist and that, that's, what's wor that's what worries them, and that's what worries people unless we'll get the books banned and what gets people killed for reading them or studying them or teaching them. So there is still some secrets out there, depending on what country you are in and what books you want to read. Argentina, for example, you are not allowed to read Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov.
Australia, the 120 days of sodomy by the Marquis of the Said is still forbidden. In Austria, you cannot read the book Works, but by Albert Einstein. In China, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland is still forbidden to read. In Germany, Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens and the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. But of course, thanks to internet, you can access the books wherever you are. So don't be afraid. In the end, all secrets will come up to the surface and we will all be able to access it. And then the secret will not be so powerful anymore. So some of these books have since then been allowed to publish again in, in different places. So secrets can change depending on politics. What's a secret, what is dangerous and what is not. But it's not like there's some Necronomicon out there that has ancient secrets in it that are that'll destabilize everything. No, and you don't have one. I was like, oh, you don't have that secret, like black the black book that tells like yeah, has like all the spells and now because like when you spread all this information that you do, do you ever get people pissed at you? That goes back like you spread our secret information. This is all. No, yeah, I get, uh, yeah, I get people that get angry. I've had uh, like, really? a cultist write me like yeah, angry emails, being like you're divulging the <laughs> blah 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 blah. I'm like, man, if your secrets are a Available on Amazon.com, then you're not. Yeah, but that's you know. not. Uh, that's like that's. Then you are anti-copyright. Then it's like if I publish a movie or mu- music online now that shouldn't that all the people who made it are no it's released for free and you're like oh it's already in the public public domains so I spread it. Yeah, I'm like you can find this book on Google Books. I mean, yeah, it's in Latin, so you have to read Latin. So like it's kind of difficult to read because many people can't read Latin anymore, but. If you get pissed at me because I'm revealing the secrets of your secret, secret, whatever, I'm like, you're like you're the one who fucked up. Like you, you should have kept your secrets better. Yeah, I thought, I thought <laughs> it's, not my, it's not my fault that like your book is on Google Books from 1651. People get a sense of power from thinking that things are hidden. I don't get any sense of power from hiding stuff from people. I get a sense of power by making of information available that makes us all better off. I feel better as a person, as a teacher, by making other people have access to information. I think that if you get off on like manipulating people by hiding things from people, I think you probably need a therapist.
But this, it's, I thought this like hidden, this occult, like hidden information came from from places where people had to hide it because they were followed and threatened and stuff. And now it seems like it become more like, oh yeah, we want it to be hidden because then it makes us feel cool about it. Doesn't it, yeah. wasn't it more hidden before because there was not permitted to study this or that it was kind of dangerous for the people doing it? That's why it was hidden, kind of? Sure. Yeah, it was hidden because it was not, it wasn't part of the orthodox religious worldview and they were asking questions that challenged that kind of stuff. So now when it's legal to give out that, come on, people, it's like if you don't, if it's not dangerous anymore, knowledge is for everyone, no? People should be happy about people teaching about history and anything, anything that is knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I guess unless you run some organization in which you make money from people by selling secret knowledge of whatever, blah, 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 <laughs> which is fine. Like, I'm not I'm not opposed to people. If, if people have an organization in which they want to keep parts of the organization secret from people, fine. And if I if I ever interviewed someone and they told me, like, look, this is part of my group and I don't want this information getting out, then I, I wouldn't because I think it's important to honor people's privacy. But I'm not doing that. I'm I'm looking at books that basically are literally available on Google Books, scanned in from 1550 or whatever, and they're just they're not widely known because the the scholarship hasn't reached them yet because the scholarship often doesn't de deem them as worthy of research or something. And people are interested in alchemy and people are interested in magic and and I want people to have access to reliable information that's vetted. And I show my sources and I'm, and if someone asks me like, where'd you get this? I can tell them like, I got it from this book in this edition from this and not like, oh, I got it from my secret teacher and you can't know anything about that. Like, why are you not interested in, I saw somewhere you said you were not interested so much. You don't understand why people are so interested in the Nephilims. It's a little bit interesting because it like blends in with all this theory people have about aliens in the Bible and stuff and how the DNA got mixed. It's like for conspiracy people and people, well, you are allowed to think everything. You shake your head. Mm, is it something? Now I'm like, what are you hiding? Because it's connected to the book of Enoch and stuff also that got removed. Well, nothing was removed. Some things just weren't included. And, well, but you know. it has—it's like taking out the whole part of the story, like about uh, teaching the witchcraft, or the learning about astrology and the herbs. And sure, sure. A lot but of now the Book of Enoch is widely available, and anyone can read it if they yeah, like. Yeah, but it's um, not part of the Bible. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's the Book of Enoch, but it's not a part of the canon, so you can't really. It's, it's, it's not part of the. It's part of the Ethiopian canon. The Ethiopian yeah, canon no. still maintains that it's uh, that it's it's considered canon. The Book of Formation. Sefer Yetzirah, yeah. is a little bit like a little bit like also talking about the same kind of stuff, no? No, not so much. But the Sefer Yetzirah is part of the Jewish canon. We accept it as the, the Jewish canon never closed. There are still books being added to it now. We don't. We think of some books as more or less authoritative. So it's there are some books that are very authoritative, like the Torah and the Talmud, and there are some books that are less authoritative, but. We we think of authority as a spectrum, not whether something's in or out. But 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 then I'm like, why, uh, why did you take away? Why did the Enoch part go away? Because it's like it's like you're reading a book and they took away the like part of it. You're reading and it's okay. Here's like something with that is very bizarre and weird with things coming from the sky, the giants, and then bop. There's nothing more and anything more about it, kind of. And then you read the book of Enoch. It was Enoch. authoritative in some, like, for instance, at Qumran, at the Dead Sea Scrolls, we find more copies of the book of Enoch than we find of the book of Leviticus. So for that community, it was it was authoritative. They had lots of copies of it. So why is uh, the reason it got taken away? 
it's not that it got taken away. It's like, it looks like it got lost. It looks like that what ends up happening is it just got it just it became unpopular it for just whatever got reason. Lost is like in part of the story. <laughs> okay, if because half of the story is there, that's the thing you should yeah, take away the whole story. Then. But maybe people just couldn't like the, really it relate like it got... to it, no? So the most population could not relate to it, so they were like, ah, oh, what is this fairy tale? Yeah, I think that's what happened. I think that it was it was that people just lost interest in it and that they looked at it and they saw like it's like fan fiction, right? Like imagine that there's a story and then someone comes along later and writes fan fiction and maybe some of the fan fiction becomes very popular, like Dune, right? Dune has all the Dune books and then they have the later books written by the guy's son. Some people really like them and they accept them as part of the Dune story. Some people really don't like them. I mean, they don't accept it as part of the Now we're talking book. about the ba- Okay, yeah, well. Tommy Temblor's new edited version of the Torah. In the beginning, when God created the heaven and earth, for the various signs and magic that the Lord sent him to display in the land of Egypt, and for all the great might and awesome power that Moses displayed before all Israel. Yeah, okay, yeah, you talk about a, a sacred scripture as if you take away one word or two words, right. you will destroy all of it, kind of. Okay, yeah, well, a little bit, but this, you don't believe in aliens or what? Me? Yeah. I mean, I believe that there's extraterrestrial intelligence. I just don't think it's ever been here. No? You don't nah. think so? Never? No. Why nah. not? I think the universe is too big. I think that that if, the, if our current understanding of the law of, of laws of physics are true, which they might very well not be, that I just think that the very thing, the very mathematics that makes it certain that there are, there is extraterrestrial intelligence also very likely means that they could never get here because of the, the gulfs of space. I mean, we're talking about like Alpha Centauri, the closest star is tens of thousands of years away. But it's like they can have other type of technology. It's like, I just know that people like, for example, the native tribe again in Ecuador that I like so much did talk there. What they feared most was some man eating giants that they had like really serious uh, connection, like stories about. I have a first hand experience with them. I know they talk about the giants that eat people. And, and then I'm like, it's so many like stories in the Mayas and in the Zapotec civilization. Here I am now where they kind of seem to build stuff for really huge people. And they do talk about sky god, gods and that the gods left them and that they came with information. And it's like gave something to humanity, then left and gave the, the like, okay, now someone has to take the order. So that's the priest somehow or something. It's just a theory. It's the same making more logic for me than actually just like normal religion. I'm a little bit more like sci-fi, I think. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Right. Yeah, I, I tend to think of it more like science fiction. And, but yeah, I just think that... From, yeah, but religion me, is that for me many times. Like, you said like, if you're going to be evil, be funny evil. Be good evil, like Trump, for example. So I'm like, if you're going to have a, a fucking religion, make a fucking good, funny religion with some orgies and some celebration of nature, some dancing around each other naked and some cool decoration. But it's so annoyingly boring it's like then i at least like 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 oh and the shaman's doing and like really like projecting something but most of those religions are considered primitive but the big religions that is the most boring religions of the world is it a way to use religion and uh, and uh, maybe mysticism what should we do now we're getting on the end of the show actually i'm trying to find out how we can use this to do something good now for the planet how can we get together and do something for ecology? How can we save 
uh, our beautiful uh, planet? Or how can religious people be able to find that oh, that uh, real that real connection to nature again and see that as more important than a huge temple or something human-made. Like a, a Mona Lisa is worth so much money. The, the Mona Lisa that is made by a, one of the geniuses of humanity. While, a, while a, like a 3,000-year-old oak has, with all the ecosystem on it has no value for humans. And then I'm like, did religion fail totally? Is this like, uh, because all the big religions in the world, I don't see so much like effort to get back to nature again. Yeah, I think that religions change and that, that insofar as they continue to change, and I think they will, I think that, the, that part of what makes religions amazing is that they have the ability to respond to modern times. I mean, the ancient Israelite religion is no longer the religion practiced by Judaism. Judaism is a very different religion than sacrificing animals and burning beer to satisfy some god. And so I think my hope is that part of what makes religion very powerful and very dangerous for that matter is that it has the ability to evolve and change and it has the ability to ask the biggest possible questions. And I think at least, for instance, for the Abrahamic religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, that it's very clear in those religions that there's a way of interpreting the role of human beings and nature as stewards of nature and not dominators of nature. And I think that by changing our understanding of nature is not something that we own, but it's something that was created by God or whatever, and that we're stewards of it, then that means that we've done a really bad job stewarding it. Or at least, you know, not everybody, but at least, you know, big powerful industrialists and groups of people like that. And so, yeah, I think the religion has the tools to think through an ecological version of their... I think they made it this ecological disaster. They took pe for me, they took people away from the nature, the celebrating tribes, and uh, and say that they believe in many different gods. Something that is just a symbolic value, like the Vikings believed in different type of gods. But in the end, they also believed that it was like one thing connecting them. It was more like the angels or something. Then they they kind of well. Christianity uh, at least killed off a lot of these people that had this knowledge about nature that we needed. Like the native people in Latin America, they had this philosophy. They had this idea of unity and oneness with nature. And they're being uh, still being killed. But again, I think laziness is, the, is a problem for humankind. I mean, brainwashed is... No, because even an even a animal, when they, if they have food for free, lying on the floor, they will go there instead of going and hunting it themselves. Yeah. And so humanity, when, <coughs> when they suddenly didn't have this, like, needs, they, like, lost the connection to, to nature because they had this fast... Substitutional activity, like the Yuna Bomber would say, like we have to make up stuff to keep us oriented because we don't have to, like, f like all the time be protect our family and find food. So we have to make up other things. That, what do you mean? Or? Yeah, and then we got like drifted away, like when societies became bigger and bigger. And nature is scary, you know. Like nature is powerful. That's that's the type of fear you should have, maybe for God. Also have that fear for nature. But since people are fearing, like some kind of 
Okay, you can say like you can just say it in different levels. Then maybe God is there, control like controlling nature, and when you don't respect nature, you don't respect God, somehow. But it's like somehow in any religion missing that link, and I, I'm trying to find that link. How to help or how to do my work online? How to do speak to religious people through different ways to find that link somehow to to guide them towards like okay. You can't really have a respect for God without respecting the creation somehow, respecting the wonder of God. That's like kind of our mission. No? It's even said in the, if you believe in the Bible that the, the humans were placed in the garden to, to kind of take care of it. No. We got thrown out of the garden because we don't know how to take care of it. And then we fuck it up. It's like, okay, I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm confused. I'm confused. I'm confused about who to believe in, uh, what to believe in or not. This is the time you ha you can't be like you can't be too angry at conspiracy people because like I'm I'm trying my best also to have a rational view on things and to understand. I want to have a, somehow a proof of things, but then at the same time, who can you trust? Like now the Corona crisis, you have the waxers and the anti-waxers. You have the people believing that it's an agenda or that it's random or no one knows and I know have many friends that went really sick from this and that is good people they are interested in knowledge they're sitting watching stuff on internet people talking about different subjects and they end up believing things that they, well they end up psychotic from it because you can't trust anyone you can't trust your parents really yeah I mean I basically the way that I proceed is that I, I trust what I can check and I, I check sources I mean that's what I do, I if I if I'm looking at something controversial or something difficult, I um, I'm going to check it against the literature and and then see have have these things been tested. And um, part of what is really important about things like universities, of course, is that that they have to publish their stuff in a way that anyone can check it. And everyone has a motivation to prove them wrong. That's you, how it works. You can you check it if you have the money to check wrong. it. It's like many times controlled by interest that is like, I know this, uh, this uh, science, uh, science hub thing online where you can go and, and crack yourself into different type of knowledge because most of like new published things from universities you have to pay to read a lot. Sure, yeah, and it's, yeah and there are definitely problems with like paywalls, which I really don't like paywalls. And um, yeah, I think there are a lot of problems with stuff like that. A lot of these journals that are these huge paywalls and academic publishing is crazily expensive. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. There's no doubt about that. So knowledge but, is power, but is knowledge empathy and kindness? Um, no, not necessarily. But I think one of the things I tell my students, I, and I, I train, I teach philosophy to a bunch of scientists or young scientists. Uh, one of the one of the classes I teach, or uh, one of the universities I teach at, is basically a training scientist. And I tell them, right, that can does not imply should. That that you can do something doesn't mean you should, and that that they have to have a basic moral training to understand that what they're doing is transforming, understanding and transforming the world, and that without a moral bearing, without a moral without a moral education, then they simply can be manipulated by anyone with an interest in making a bunch of money or building something terrible, um, like a bomb, atomic bombs, or drones that kill people or whatever. And that one of the great mistakes of the 20th century, one of the great mistakes of the 20th century, were scientists operating in the interests of uh, corporations and governments that for whom the truth did not matter, power mattered, money mattered. 
and that scientists that lack a moral compass, and it's the job of universities to help provide them that moral compass, and I teach ethics to scientists. Is it the um, job of university to, uh, to give them the compass? Really? Yeah. I it's think it must be a personal responsibility. I think that I think that ethics ethics is we have a good grasp at least now like I don't teach my students how to be good I teach my students theories of how to be good and I tell them that they have to figure out which one of these theories <laughs> Terry, makes the most sense. I mean, I, Terry, I'm can you please write? I'm I need happy. a therapy to therapy to be you. You have a theory to be good for me. I need to be. I need to be better. Can you give me a theory? This is like the theory of everything from no. Einstein, kind of. If But I, I mean, would have that, the theory of how to be good, I think it's so individual to how to be. Uh, you can't be good fake. It's like if you don't have the if you're like a if you're like a psychopath, it's getting more and more people with kind of like borderline personality disorder and more psychopathic treatments because it's like a defense mechanism. People can't survive without disconnecting themselves to that dying person on the street every time they go to work or seeing people get uh, being killed somewhere or they have to like kind of distance themselves from it. So like we live in this world with so much disconnection. How, so we have to learn to be good. How? What's the theory? Tell me the theory. I think, I'm I think that. <laughs> I mean, I think that for me, like obviously people who are suffering from uh, from a mental health condition, that's a very different phenomenon than. It's not a mental people. health condition. Then like you say religion is a mental health condition. Also, people believing in like fairy tales and then forcing people to follow that their family or whatever. You can see that in religious cults everywhere. Is that the, is that the insanity? Where is the insanity? Just the society does like we don't accept that you don't have emotions, so you have you are psychotic. But it's not like why are this person psychotic? Because you created well, a society that well, they can't live in. I think with psychopathy specifically, that's like a predatory behavior that we think probably uh, a brain condition. It's a neurological condition. It's probably not learned. Mm, like psychopathy is... I, it's, it's learned from like how you've been treated by your family and stuff many times. Yeah, if you've been like... Yeah, so I think that, that it could be the case that people who are traumatized often go on to... often go on to traumatize others. That's true. But I think that for me, when I think about how to do ethics and how to teach ethics, is that my job as a philosopher at least is to teach ethical theories and ultimately it's the job of the individual person to say I need to be ethical I want to be ethical there's a real debate about which of the theories the ethical theories is the true one like I'm it's not my job to tell anyone what's the true one is it's my job to teach the various ethical theories and then it's the job it's the job and the responsibility of the student or whoever is listening to me I guess to adopt a theory and do the best they can with it and to at least wrestle with those moral conundrums. And so when I teach ethics, I don't say this is what's right and this is what's wrong. I don't have the authority to do that. What I can say is these are the best theories that we've developed in philosophy about right and wrong. And if you want to be a good person, you'll spend the rest of your life wrestling with these theories. And you will get ass kicked everywhere because the whole society like business school lawyers all kind of people are working in the like kind of like normal society universities all have based on like competition not on cooperation it's all based on a way you have to so you have to learn to be nice to each other based on a system that is so alienating you from being nice to each other because then you will not win over the other right. people it sounds really difficult but again it's about learning to think 
learning right. to okay let's let's continue to learn okay we have been talking so long i wanted to just ask you like give uh, what's your message of hope right now to people sitting in uh, isolation and don't feel a connection and don't feel uh, they're doing enough and don't know what to do right now this is a very complicated world we we live in what's your most like practical uh, advice to to go out in the world and make a change i th- it's a huge question um i think you're right that we live in a society that's deeply alienating and one of the major ways that we can fight back against that is by forging community, by by forging relationships, and by connecting with people around shared values, and then beginning the process of thinking through resisting uh, the aspects of the world that we find to be repugnant or morally outrageous or uh, or evil, I guess. And so the big part of my life that's made my life feel very meaningful is that I've lived in community with people who share a similar vision for the world they want to live in and who've been willing to do the work of activism and other kinds of organizing to, to begin the process of building that world. And so I found that part of what makes me feel very um, satisfied and connected is by the process of trying to forge the world that I want to live in and that can mean a wide range of things. Um, but I think that building community around trying to live in the world that you want to live in is a big part of that. And of course, eventually you will face resistance. But being good and being connected in a world that's committed to values that are just basically about militarism and imperialism and white supremacy and, and making money, of course they're going to resist you. But being good and being decent never comes with the promise of being safe. But that's the that's the wager that we risk. Or so, rich or successful either. It's not like uh, looking up on the kind of environmentalists that got killed during the last years and it's so many and so yeah. many are forgotten about. And I kind of see them as the heroes of our time. They fight it for for the survival of of our whole planet and these people are forgotten while people like uh, like famous people like michael jackson or whatever well, he will be remembered for some other things now so well whatever whatever they get remembered for gets remembered on such a big scale and it, that also shows something about the values is like if you change your values you also become like kind of like a victim or a loser Somehow, people will not take you serious. People will forget about you. Yeah, I, I think that one success, whatever success is in this society, is pretty toxic. I'm not really interested in that very much. Um, I think success is something that communities determine for themselves. And I think the process of building a community that has values that you share, then success has to be determined within that community and not in this like idiotic whoever has the most money is successful or whoever lives in the fanciest house or whatever, none of those things are success. That's, I, I think that these kinds of abstract categories don't really make sense. And when, or they don't make sense outside of communities of relationship. And I think that the task is to forge new kinds of communities that have new kinds of values, or, or at least maybe not new kinds of values, maybe even old kinds of values. But yeah, I, have, I don't have a lot of interest in being rich or famous or, that, that all that stuff seems uh, seems pretty bad for the people that 
I get it most of the time. They actually did it now. Uh, like I forgot, they don't do get rock stars now. Like Greta Thunberg, for example, she is a ecological rock star. If she will get killed, it would be a big story. But they don't do so much. So those people that really do something, they have kind of forgotten about. Well, okay. Um, I want to say thank you so much. We, uh, we could have talked forever, I guess. Uh, because I have one million things, actually. When we started actually to talk about a lot of other things also. it's uh, I'm very uh, inspired by your uh, YouTube channel. So please continue to spread information in a scientific and uh, informative way. For the people who haven't checked out, go to Esoterica and check out this uh, beautiful YouTube channel if you're interested in mysticism, uh, magic, religion and philosophy. Yeah, I will try to reborn and I will give you, like, if you get crazy there in the big uh, United States of America, uh, know that you have a place here in uh, the mountains of Mexico where you can maybe make a small Harry Potter school mystery uh, <laughs> mystery school. If you want, it will fit perfect. So if you ever need a small holiday here in the magical mountains, uh, magic mountains of Oaxaca, uh, you are more than welcome to come and visit us. So uh, very happy to have met you. I, I when I uh, figured all the stuff that you were talking about, all the books you read, I would think that you were way much older. And it's proven now that you can read a lot of books yeah. very fast. It's proven that time uh, is relative, Leona. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Or just that uh, I think that, yeah, I, being well-read has everything to do with time management. That's, that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's so I guess, I guess, guess you and your wife don't like each other so much then. Because I used to, <laughs> when I have a sex partner, I use most of the time of like sexual magic or something. I have no. I, that there is where the the sex takes your focus away, and you should go celibate because then you have time to read a lot more. And be. I like, think it also has to do with the fact that I, I get up at five. Every, you know, I get up at five every morning and prioritize reading and working, and so it all has to do with you know setting, setting whatever, setting goals and saying, look, I'm going to get the following things done this week, and just finding the time to do it. Um, and so that's just. Time, uh, time, man time management is also a for form of magic and a type of magic I don't know <laughs> at all. So, yeah, okay, we can learn a lot from academics also in a way of uh, using time. Some, some academics. Some, there are <laughs> plenty of academics who aren't good at it, trust me. Uh, they, they, per they turn in everything really late and everything else. So, yeah, I, I just tell people that, uh, you know, having uh, people sometimes ask me, like, how do you get this stuff done? And I'm like, I... I, I set a goal in that, you know, for every, for every week, like these are the things I want to accomplish. And there's something psychologically very rewarding about like having little tiny goals that you're already, that you're always kind of accomplishing. Um, I just find that to be really rewarding. Just that I want to do X and I do it. Like I want to brew this beer. And, I, and if you want to brew the beer, you have to find the time to brew the beer and you find the time and you know, you have two kids and a job and teaching you're gonna you're either you're gonna find the time or you're not and for me it's like all right i'm gonna do x and you find the time to do it and make the time to do it and you accomplish it and you can think back when you're drinking your beer that you made you're like all right this is time well spent <laughs> <laughs> okay so the use your time on constructive things that you can uh, that's like you reap what you sow that's the, the yeah. thing no it's also about making yourself happy no you make yeah. So, yeah, you know that better than me. I'm more, yeah, well, 
I'm trying to learn. I'm learning. Okay, uh, we uh, all the time are learning. We're trying to, uh, yeah, find ourselves out of our little uh, isolated uh, bubble here in dusty cowboy town in in Mexico. And we've been talking to Justin Sledge, and it's been uh, such a great honor and uh, very nice to talk to you. Uh, we hope you will have a continuous good night. And as soon uh, war breaks out in America, you know where you have a safe space to <laughs> run away. So we will yeah, be there. Underwater. We will be yeah. there. Build up things so things are like uh, more, more permanently ready when people are coming, when people are refugees, when people are running away. <laughs> then, then, uh, then Mexico don't want Americans anymore because of the story with the wall. You know, they will be like, "Hey, let us in." It's like, okay, now you need us. Well, all the resources yeah. are here, guys. Here we got fruits and vegetables growing all the time, and uh, the farmers here know how to grow shit. So we have like, it's not centralized like many other places. We have small farms all around us and they will, if something happened, they will take care of us. And yeah, we will take care of you also if you come and anyone else out there that uh, getting afraid, the world of the end of the world is getting closer. Oh God, what are we going to do? Well, stay on the mountain in Mexico and uh, look for mushrooms and dance naked in the fog. That's what we're going to do. So you're welcome. Continue. Have a great uh, rebirth day also. Yeah, thank you guys. And the yeah. pat uh, the Patreon thing, you're collecting money for also for making seminars, no? In the future. Yeah, that's a, that's eventually part of the project is basically to be able to transition the YouTube channel to be able to you know, to also offer classes. So at some point, hopefully in the future, when the channel is able to make enough money that I can basically cut down the teaching I do at the university, I can transfer some of that time to the to the channel to make those to make seminars there yeah fuck the university go online like if this is the time you have all the knowledge available other places you don't need to be part of any institution make your own institution make your own religion based on all the whatever your own ideas or whatever you want it's the time to reform an uh, experiment that's what you said no since no one tells the truth you you have the responsibility to make up your truth and i think individual truth is a lot more magical than a truth like forced upon you by a system you don't even understand so yeah I, I, again I, I think it's why at some level of course like part of what I want to do is reach as many people as possible if I love teaching why not teach we have things like YouTube which are just amazing as a opportunity to reach people so I'm really excited about the possibility of of, of uh, using that platform to uh, get some stuff out there Just a question, when you're teaching people ethic, like, do you think it will help people or is it just like for pleasing the system? Like, oh, we did it, we teach them ethic, now they, everything will be working. I think that, I think there's a range. I think that some people really take it to heart and I think some people don't give a damn. I think that's just like your, it's a grab bag. You have 40 students, some people you reach, some people you don't. Okay. And um, and so I've had students come back years later and say, like, I'm having an ethical dilemma, blah, 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 blah. Can we talk about, can we meet over for coffee or a beer? And can I can we talk through the problem so I can make a decision I feel good about? Uh, teacher, I, I did, uh, I did uh, trick this poor person that thought he could get something from signing that paper. Well, I didn't only trick him. I we we poisoned their water. The drinking water he would be poisoned for 
generations to come. Uh, did I do something wrong? I don't know. I feel uncomfortable with my action. Well, um, did you do it with the right intention? Did you do it out from love, uh, out from a feeling of unity with everything around you? Well, that's the thing, teacher. I, I did. I did do it from my heart. I felt this is necessary. Well, for certain people, you know, not everyone. That life is not fair. That's part of life. It's not like I wanted to do this. I, I felt it was a necessary thing for yeah, progress and for, for, for safety, for, for a lot of people. Yeah, but uh, were you t truthful and honest uh, towards this person? Well, in my in my heart, yes, I, I think so. Uh, well, I didn't really tell what what we're gonna put. I said we're gonna put something out that. Well, I didn't exactly tell everything, but I didn't lie. So I can't be that bad. I didn't lie. Well, I maybe moderated the text or I moderated my speech a little bit. And But he signed, when he signed the paper, he was happy when he signed the paper. He thought that he would get something back to his family. Yeah, and would he? Well, yeah, well, not that much more poisoned water and... Well, they can't grow anything there now for the next five generations, but but it benefits somewhere, you know, like it's a balance. Ethic must be like, can't always, nothing can be purely good or nothing can be purely bad. Well, you're right with that, my son. Do you feel good with your decision? Mm, yeah, I feel happy. I feel happier, actually. Well, I don't want to talk to him again or think too much about it, so I'm... I'm staying far away from that and let my workers deal with it. Um, it's kind of up to them also. If they do the action based on me saying it, I can't take all of the blame. Well, do you feel you have any blame? Well, yeah, not so much. Well, then go with pure heart, my son. Mm, I will. Thank you. But the ethical, so, yeah, that's ethical dilemma. It's like getting children, for example, in an overpopulated world. It's, it's, it's like... It's too late. You already got a child. Oh, shh, it's secret. Secret. Uh, okay, whatever. Uh, but it's like, then I was thinking, because I saw many different causes and effects, because I was, she's really, I, she don't want to get the children in, uh, in this time. Uh, and I was very much on her philosophy. Uh, but causes and effects, suddenly it happened something that made me lose that philosophy and when I'm looking back at what happened to me to make that happen I see that I didn't have control over my situation and then I'm like it's the first time in my life where I'm like do I have free will do I actually have the possibility to choose to become better or to choose to not have a child if I don't want it how much is my nature you know how when does my thought become conscious I really started to feel it in this in this in that creating life in this time that is totally insane. And then I saw the whole specter what happened to me. And I'm trying to explain her, like, don't you see? Like, it's like the universe somehow is pushing me to a point where I if I wouldn't be on that point, I wouldn't make this decision. And it feels like it's doing it with purpose. When I look backwards, what I do mean, you think I about mean, free will? I mean, I don't think we have it, but I think we have a pretty persistent delusion that we have it and a, and a sufficiently 
persistent delusion is indistinguishable from from reality. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty skeptical that we have free will in a robust sense. I'm pretty skeptical, but I also could be completely wrong. But I'm, I'm, I, I'm pretty skeptical. Yeah, because some science and stuff say, you know, for example, that it's really hard to make a criminal not criminal, for example, or some people have a certain specter of personality traits that makes them act in this society in the way they do is impossible to stop because it's basically their their whole like the DNA or other forces that makes them make those decisions they make. It's impossible right. to eliminate it. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think the things like that are probably true at some level. Yeah, I think they were... were yeah, I think we're much more like puppets than we'd like to imagine. Okay, I'm skeptical. So we are different here. Yeah, she um, likes. She's yeah. like still holding to her idea I'm about that. <laughs> I'm not saying that we have a total free. With my theory is that we have many options all the time, but and then we can choose between those options. Like a quantum physics free will kind of. Yeah. Many different possibilities of reality, but exactly. But you have a certain. It's a, it's a certain amount, and, and you can't get more. Or and different dimensions, and it's it's. I don't know. It's like when you get a dilemma, you can choose which road you choose. But it's it's if you pick this one, there's already like a so lot you, of things picked out for that road. So you chose to be here in this dusty cowboy town, isolated in Mexico with me. That's no, what that's you say. a consequence of my choice of leaving Europe. And you think you did that choice? I had the choice to leave Europe. Mm, yeah, I guess so. Okay, now we're gonna do this. We so see how I've got free will. We're gonna stop the, this bipolar circle and the rebirth this show right now. It's a proof. It's a, we just did science. I, I mean, that's why you can be happy and you can theoretically be happy. I can theoretically be happy. happy. I choose, we found out that I choose to not be happy based on that. I want to cry about the how the world is now. I don't want to go around. Oh yeah, everything is fine. No, it's not. It's not fine. I, I choose to be depressive and sad about it. If you know that everything is always going to be like this, you cannot choose any okay. difference. Okay. So, so you should be able to be happy. Well, okay. We are all happy. I'm super happy that we had uh, Justin here with us today. I love you. Uh, please uh, spread your word. Inspire people. Uh, it's a great time now when people are isolated and sitting at home to give information and, uh, and uh, inspiration to people. So continue with that. Thank you so much again. We'll, I love you. I don't know about Leona. Uh, it's a big word, but... <laughs> <laughs> big word. Yeah, it's like God somehow. It's like people kill each other and fight about it all the time and nobody can really explain what it is. You know, like, what is love? What is God? Like, I don't know. Let's kill each other for it. Or let's make an orgy and dance naked around in the trees as the two sides. Okay. I'm very happy to have you here and have been able to talk to you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take you guys care. have a great night. You too. Yeah. Bye. I was like, now Leona asked the questions like after he's gone off, like that is interesting. For example, what is love that he's doing a philosophical uh, study about? And it's one of the things I really would have liked to ask about, but I didn't. Because you didn't do your research then, I guess. I did research, but I, he's doing so many different subjects. I didn't get into that. What is love? Okay. okay. I think it was yeah, something he did one time or something. Okay, but I still would like to hear his uh, theory about it. So I guess you have to have a second show with him later about what, what is, is love. love. Okay. I will write him and ask that. I, I don't know if he will do that after we have talked to him one time. Because we're pretty confusing people. We're not sticking to like a, a, a real agenda. But it was, 
really nice still to be able to ask somebody. It's still like I hear my when I'm asking, I'm actually just like saying what I think about it. And instead of asking things like, uh, okay, you just said what you think about it, but you don't give me a real question. Real question. So I'm like, mm, maybe I, I should have asked more questions, I guess. Well, what do I want? What do I wonder most? What I wonder most is like, what is love? That is what you wonder most yeah. about. That I mean, that's the same question. Like, oh, what is God? Yeah, I said that. It's the same question. It's a very, very deep existential question, actually. And uh, I have no idea w what to answer. I don't think anyone has it. I think it's like kind of the the point of where uh, poetry and music and and love for like like the connection to the world and everything comes from but also it's been abused like god to to, to manipulate control and uh, again, kill that, people again that's people people are behind religions yeah people are killing people people are killing people yeah. I, i didn't see god coming down from the sky or whatever killing people No, no, but people do it in like in their idea of love for God or love for their religion or. Yeah, and because they are righteous, they believe that they are right. They believe that what they believe in is better than others' beliefs no. and the fear of others. And love is also like it's the first one of the first reasons of uh, of killing people like uh, lovers like a um, husband killing their wife or the wife killing husband or the the husband killing his whole family that is called extended suicide in Norway where someone goes crazy usually every winter and slaughter I don't know if their that, whole family I don't know if that is really love that's just yeah, like a normal relationship that kills like what the society thinks what does the society think But when you're a happy married couple, you're supposed to be happy when you're not like that anymore, then you get your anger out on the other partner. Oh God, I'm so confused. Uh, I don't think we can talk so much more about it. I have to go and meditate and think about this now. This it looks more like you will puke Yeah, in I a will second. Love, uh, it makes me feel sick. What is love? What is God? I don't know. It makes me feel very bad in my stomach. I feel like I only... Need to puke, yeah. So really, he is looking like he will puke. I think Tommy has to go to the toilet right okay, now. Okay, so with a happy rebirth day. Bye bye. Oh shit! He really goes to puke. He's puking right now. Um. Again, if you believe there is no free will, then I don't know what to believe about love. Okay, I think we're tuning out. Now it's time to readdress. What is sacred? Are you sacred? Are you cursed? Or are you blessed? Were you created from all this hatred? And I don't need a devil to keep me in line. And I don't need an angel to keep me in line. I got my hands screwed on like a nail on a cross and I'll make my own decisions and so the cup it overfloweth into the red sea into the dead sea above the mountain or deep below it it flows as freely as you believe me and I don't need a devil to change my mind 
And I don't need an angel to keep me in line I've got my head screwed on like a nail in a cross In a church of no religion You will think all your cardinal sins will stay underground Almost everything, so step down, 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 down. All your money and all your faith, all your miracles and holy visions won't make the world a better place. So take a pew and stop to listen. I'm telling you the truth. If World War Three comes soon, you'll find me singing in a church, singing in a church, singing in a church of no religion. Get the scissors, cut the strings. It's time to move on. It's time to move on. Puppeteer is out of time. We waited so long, we waited so long, and I don't need a devil to change my mind, and I don't need an angel to keep me in line. I've got my head screwed on like a nail in a cross, and I'm making my own decisions. You would think all your cardinal sins. Will stay underground. You've ruined almost everything, so step down, 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 down. All your money, all your faith, all your miracles, holy visions, won't make the world a better place. So take a pew and stop to listen. I'm telling you the truth. If World War Three comes soon, you'll find me singing in a church, singing in a church, singing in a church of no religion, singing in a church, singing in a church, singing in a church of no religion, singing in a church, singing in a church. Singing in a church, no religion. Singing in a church, living in a church, praying in a church.